Uh, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? I could actually just stay seated and let Janine sing, right? <laughs> I, I really could. I really could. She's a hard act to follow. But in Jesus we trust. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, Honestly, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, we really do love Pastor Jared. Vicky and all the gang. Um, I tell people this, and this is a true story. Before me and Pastor Jared met, Janine would all, always used to say to me, if there was a church I could go to in England, I would go to Pastor Jared's church in Hull. She really did. She really did. Um, so the way God has connected us has been a real, um, I really believe, um, God ordained. Um, and it's a real honour and a privilege to come. Um, if I had a kind of subtopic, really, because what I want to do is kind of share a little bit about my life story and just kind of try and condense a word within that. Um, obviously, the theme is discovering kind of Christmas, but if I had a subtopic, I think it would be um, insignificant people can do significant things. And I really mean that. And. That came to me um, while I was at the Leaders Forum a few weeks ago. I was standing at the back. I go there monthly. It's a really good forum. And I was standing at the back. And I had a moment where um, I had a flashback of when I was a child in church, just standing in church as a young kid, seeing my brother and loads of my cousins, my nephew, nieces, all being touched by God and standing there thinking, does God know that I'm here? And I really felt that as a child. And so at that meeting, I had that flashback. And I thought, wow. And then I went on to reflect to see all that God has done and what he's doing and for what he's going to do that insignificant people can do significant things. I really mean that. And I feel in my heart today that there's people here that feel insignificant but I'm convinced by the grace of God that by the time this morning is over you're going to feel significant because God is not a respecter of persons he really isn't and so my journey of life is I'm from East London as you can hear from this accent um, I grew up in the East End of London uh, my mother was a Christian my dad was a Christian and so we went to church as Afro-Caribbean parents church is not an off option you've got to go to church okay so I tell people this is I had to go to church my body was in church but my mind and heart was with my friends but you couldn't say that to mum and dad um, so it was quite evident from a young age and um, I was really passionate about football started playing football probably about the age of eight played football at home smashed my house windows with a football so a great indica indication of what you could become really good at Okay, is what you're passionate about. I was passionate about smashing my house windows with the football. <laughs> and so um, at the age of 12, a friend of mine recommended me to Watford Football Club. I went on trial and played a game. Um, I signed as a 13-year-old, as a schoolboy. Nowadays, you'd call that like an academy player. I did two years, um, and at the age of 15, some of you have heard this already, but it's good to say it again because I never get bored of telling the story because it always reinforces some stuff to myself. And so at the age of 15, I was actually going to stop playing football. And reason being, there is a scripture in the book of Corinthians where it says, bad company corrupts good habits. And I always tell people, 
whether I get the pleasure of speaking in schools, prisons, various places, that whether you have faith or not, you cannot debate that bad company corrupts good habits. What you look at, what you listen to, what you surround yourself around is going to influence your life in a positive or a negative way. I hear many preachers say it, and I do believe it. Okay, show me your company, and I've got a good guess of showing your future. You can predict it. And so at the age of 15, I started knocking around with the wrong people. I was going, raving, not that I should be raving at 15. And at that time, my mum and dad got divorced, so I shouldn't have been going out. I was drinking, and I didn't want to play football. I had a really good coach who gave me two choices. And previously, I think when I spoke, I did a theme about making the right choices. Life is about decisions and choices. And this coach gave me two choices. And so he said, Bruce, you've got a choice where Watford are going to offer you uh, an apprenticeship. Nowadays, you call it a scholarship. But he said to get that, he said, you're going to have to leave home, work extremely hard, listen to some instructions. He said, if you do that, he said, I think you could become a professional football player. He said, you've got the other choice. Whether you stay with the people you're with, do the things that you keep doing, you and I both know you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. And I knew he was telling me the truth. So I left home at the age of 15, it would have been 16, sorry. Uh, my first year was very, very difficult, very challenging. Um, but then in my second year as an apprentice, I ended up making my debut for Watford's first team, which was a phenomenal achievement. So I made my debut, I kind of had a bit of an idea they were going to offer me a professional contract, which they did. I signed pro when I was 18. And then in my first ever professional season, um, what happened was that my youth team manager, Kenny Jacket, he got pro promoted to assistant manager. They took me on tour, we came back, but then on the first game of the season, a player got injured. And so to this day, really, I don't ever know, but I have a gut feeling that it was Kenny Jacket that said to the manager, give Bruce an opportunity. So I played my first full game. I went on to play 33 consecutive games. Um, and then there was quite a lot of speculation in the newspapers about the young boy at Watford. Um, and I remember in particular, um, there was an article, Barry Fry, who was the Birmingham manager at the time, that said, you know, if I had a million pound, I would sign the kid Dyer. And then the following month, um, I got sold for a record transfer fee. So I became the youngest teenager to ever to be sold over a million pounds when I was 18, which was absolutely phenomenal. And so, the insignificant young boy standing in the church all of a sudden became very significant overnight. And my life, I mean, literally got turned upside down in the space of it would have been three or four months. That it would have been in March 1994, I went from Watford to Crystal Palace. Um, the following month, which would have been April, um, we were top of the which would be the championship now, which we won. Um, so I knew the following season, I was going to Old Trafford, to Arsenal, Chelsea. The following month, which would have been May um, 1994, I got picked to represent the England under-21s. And so in my team, you had the likes of Robbie Fowler, Jamie Redknapp, Sol Campbell, some real quality players, which we won that tournament um, in France, the Toulon tournament, which I finished top goal scorer amongst some really profound, really good footballers. And all of that happened in the space of four months. I mean, literally. I went on to play a further 460-something League and Cup games, 
to scoring 119 goals in a 16-year span. And that all happened of a decision that I made as a young child. And I cannot emphasize to young people, old people, because we can never stop having to make the right decisions. The importance. You and I's future will depend on the choices we make daily. Sometimes we moan and complain, but sometimes you've got to look into the mirror and our lives are a product of the decisions we make daily. And so, that is like the football career and at that time, at the first half of my career, I wasn't a Christian. And the reason many people say to me, well, why did you need to become a Christian? You know, why did you need Jesus? And there is a Bible verse that, I mean, it resonates. I mean, I can so connect to this verse that says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? And, you know, that was me. I mean, my dream as a child was to become a professional football player, buy a house, buy my mum a house, buy a Mercedes convertible, see myself a match of the day, and to be able to be good to people in life. That was my dream as a kid. And by the time I was 21, I'd accomplished every one of those dreams. And as a footballer, you get six weeks off um, every summer. And what I used to do, I used to train really hard, very dedicated, but then for six weeks, I used to just be a wild boy. And I used to go out from Friday to Sunday, and it's like at the end of that period, this particular summer, I hit the biggest brick wall that you could ever hit. And I tell people it's really important and it's the truth that as a child I was made to go to church. But there is a difference in having knowledge of Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship. And so I understood the message of the cross. I believed in it. Okay, I believed Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I did believe I was a sinner. Okay, I did believe that he rose from the dead on the third day. I did actually believe that he was coming back again. Okay, but it wasn't a personal experience. And so in a time when I was in a really bad place, um, I had an older brother who, like myself, um, we grew up in a Christian home. Again, we talk about bad company corrupts good habits. When my brother was about, it would have been 11. I mean, when I was out playing football, my brother used to be indoors reading encyclopedias. I thought it was a right weirdo. <laughs> I really did. We laugh about it. I used to think like, Encyclopedias, you need to be playing some football, mate, with me. Come on, come outside. And he was so intelligent. I mean, my mum and dad thought my brother was going to be this big banker, this rich, famous, successful person. Okay, and my brother in his secondary school, he started smoking, started smoking weed, went to amphetamine, to cocaine, to crack cocaine, street robber, prison. And that's the journey. And the devastation that caused us as a family. But, but my brother actually... And this is why I tell people, it's important, never give up on people. As parents, it don't matter how far your kids go, do not give up on them. Because my brother got filled with the Spirit as a 12-year-old, tongue-talking, prophetic young man, dreaming dreams, visions. God's hand was always on him, but by the time he was 18, he was on crack. But it was in prison that he recommitted his life to the Lord. Um, he started singing, um, won a competition on GMTV in front of millions of people, won a recording contract. The story gets even better. That's how I got my wife. Janine was part of the group. I got a wife out of my brother's bad choices. <laughs> Ain't God good. Wow, it's, it, that's exactly what happened. And 
And so when I was in a really bad place, my brother began to rehearse his testimony to me. And that's why it's good to give testimony, because it gives hope. There might be someone here that's got a son who's so far. My mum said to me, at one point she said, I thought you was a lost soul. You were so far from God. But what my mum didn't know, that when I used to come home drunk as a cat, I would sit on my knees and say, Lord, I know I'm not living right, but have mercy because my mum taught me how to pray. My mum taught me, don't ever forget, you have what you have because of Christ. And so those seeds were so important, train up a child in a way that they should go, that when they grow old, they're not. Those seeds, I'm telling you, they're never in vain. So when my brother began to share his story, I knew at that moment, all I could hear in my mind was Jesus. And it was in that moment that the message of the cross and repentance became so real to me that I did not get all deep and start quoting loads of Bible verses. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I sat on my bed in a very bad place, depression, with everything that the world could give you in a really dark place. But I just said, Lord Jesus, help me. I'm sorry. And I repented. And repentance is simple. Repentance is a change of mind. You're going your own way in life. Repentance means you simply turn. And I turned. And I didn't get deep. I was a broken man, needed help, bound in sin. Okay, and I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation, that the old things have passed away, all things have become new. I cannot tell you how he did it. But all I know, I went from living, being a drunkard, whoremongering, foul mouth, to you would not even imagine the transformation in a moment. Now, some people's journey is progressive. And so if you're struggling and stuff, don't beat yourself up. Everybody's journey is different. But I had like a soul of Tarsus experience where I don't know how God did it. He just transformed me. It's like I went from the monster to the prince. Literally. I mean, I remember I walked into the footballer's dressing room, which is one of the worst dressing rooms ever. And I walked in because I always knew in my heart that one day... I'm going to go back to church. And I always said to myself, if I did it, I'm going to live it for real. I won't be double standard. So I walked into the footballer's dressing room and I said to everyone, I'm a born again Christian. And everyone started laughing. (laughs) They really did. You! I said, I'm a born again Christian. And so they said, we'll give you till Christmas. (laughs) When we started going out, Christmas came. I was still quoting the Bible verses. That following summer came, there was no raving and partying, and things began to change in my life. I mean, rapidly. And then it was in the year 2000 when my brother's group, they were traveling the world, and they were doing tours in um, England, um, that I used to, when I first got saved, I'd go and support them. And then Janine was secretly spying on me. Not really, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I was spying on her, I was spying on her, and I said, Lord, is she my wife? She's quite a good girl, this lady, Janine. 
And then we got married. Um, she moved up to uh, South Yorkshire to Barnsley. Um, and it would have been in 2008 um, I retired. And this is the beauty of all of this is why I, I want to emphasize is that as a child, I'm telling you, I mean, I wept. You didn't see me. No one had seen me. But at the back, some tears streamed down my face because I really, as a kid, thought, God doesn't know I'm here. I could see everyone else being touched. And I was just at the back of this little kid just staring in the sky thinking, does God know I am here? Oh, my gosh. Yes, he did. And I'm saying this, that the insignificant can become significant because I have. I'm a history maker. And I say this in humility. Please fill my heart. Because Paul the Apostle said this. Listen, if you listen to, if you read what he says, you think he's bragging. He's full of pride. He said, I did more than all of the others. But then he soon said, not I, but the grace of God that was at work in me. And that's so important. And I'm saying by the grace of God, I have become a history maker. And now I know that before I was even formed in my mother's womb, God sanctified me. He knew me. He set me apart. The Bible says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And these are works before the world was even was. Before he said, let there be light, he said, Bruce, you will be the first million pound teenager. You will be an evangelist. You will help the lost and broken. It was mapped out. But as a kid, I didn't see it. I thought I was a nobody. And there are people here who you think you are a nobody. And if we take it to the scripture, just quickly, that First Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 27 to 28 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen these things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God chooses insignificant people and this morning I mean I knew what I had to share but I couldn't get no notes together and I like to be a little bit organized so I get a bit nervous but I had no notes and it went till this morning I got up prayed and all that came to my mind was the humble maidservant Mary Mary was an ordinary, humble, lowly lady. God chose her to take care of his son, to give birth to the saviour of the world. Now that is mind-blowing. An ordinary, insignificant lady. She called herself a maidservant. God said, I've chosen you. That my spirit is going to touch you. And you're going to give birth to my son and you're going to raise him up. And your name will be forever remembered. Now that gave me great hope. That has given me great hope. And to think God chose an ordinary woman. 
And so I want to encourage somebody today, you are not insignificant. You have been born and created for greatness. But the greatness will only come in him we move and live and have our being. We are his workmanship. It's not about self. It's for him. It's for his glory. It's for the honor of his name. And so I want to encourage us two things. There's two people, sets of people I'd love to pray for. One, if there's anybody here that does not know Jesus, there is a difference. Knowledge of Christ will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Having a personal relationship with him will. I knew the message, as I said, but it wasn't till I repented. The Bible says, repent and believe. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I want to give someone that opportunity today because it's important. We talk about discovering Christmas. The greatest discovery is that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever, and it means what it says, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so if there's somebody here, I want you to stand. And the reason why I want you to stand, sometimes back in the day, you say, everyone bow your head, close your eyes. If you cannot publicly declare the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not ready yet, which is fine, because God is patient. But I do believe it's really important that we learn to make a public declaration, because if you confess him before man, he will confess you before his father and the angel. I want God to call, I want Jesus to call my name, because when he talks, the father hears. And so if there is anyone here and there is no pressure, there isn't, please, and I really mean it. But it's important that if you're going to make a stand for Christ, do it. Do it with all your heart. And so I'm going to count to ten. And if that's you, I'm going to, as a group, we're going to pray with you. And we're going to lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Don't let pride make you sit down. Reject that voice that says, oh, I can't do it now, I'm not ready. Yes, you are. So 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. No problem. I'm never moved. Thank you, thank you. I'm never moved. No, no, it's perfect. Thank you. That's so great. Honestly, that is so brave. That is so brave. And I'm telling you today, because you've publicly done that, the Lord is going to confess your name and it will be well with your soul. In the name of Jesus. And I mean that. That's brave. And so as a church, okay, we're going to lead you to the Lord. And so it's just simple. Lord Jesus... I confess with my mouth that you are the Son of God. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross 
for my sins. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I believe in my heart that you went to the Father and one day you will return. And based off the confession of my mouth and the belief in my heart, I can confidently declare today that I am saved. And so, Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you are not a man that you should lie or the son of man that you should repent. Have you not said and will you not do? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus as she has believed seal her with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you today that the best is yet to come. I thank you today, Father, that heaven is rejoicing today. And Lord, we can declare and speak it over her. It is well with your soul in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. God bless you. And so at the end, someone's going to give you a Bible. Um, I mean, this is a great place to be plugged into. I mean, it is. They're just great. And just quickly also, if there are people here, and again, this takes bravery, you felt insignificant. And you've just thought, I just don't understand. Like, you know, does God know I'm here? What's God's will and plan for my life? Just two things. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might know what is good, the acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, you can't do verse two without first doing number one. And often the reason why people don't understand who they are or where they're going, what to do, because they have not presented their bodies. They come to church, they do the religion thing, they've made a commitment, but they're living double standard lives and they're not fully surrendered. Today, I want to give someone that opportunity to say, you know what, Lord, I want to really do your will. I want to be significant for you. But that can only happen if you present your body as a living sacrifice. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit will begin to renew your mind and you will know what is acceptable. You will know what is good. You will know what the perfect will of God is for your life. Life after football is a really challenge for most footballers. I promise you, I'm enjoying life more now after football than when I was when I was playing it. I am in the will of God for my life because I've surrendered. I've said, Lord, my spirit, soul, and body is yours. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Do I struggle? Yes. But that's why we've got the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us.